Exit Podcast. This is Dr. Bennett. I'm joined here by Chase the Farmer, good friend of mine, good friend of Exit. Chase is a general contractor. He's done landscaping. He's currently operating a commercial chicken farm, and we're going to have lots and lots of questions about that. Before we get started there, I want to talk about what Exit is, since this is our first podcast. Uh, Exit is a group dedicated to getting all members of that group free from any form of corporate coercion. The constitution means the state can't round you up for things you say, but uh, HR sure can. They, can. they can try to take away your kid's health insurance. They can try to uh, take away your ability to feed them. And because that power is sort of unbounded legally right now, that's where a lot of that abuse happens. What that allows us to do though is... You know, if you were living in the Soviet Union, you, you, you couldn't really get out of, of that situation without leaving the country. But, but here, you do not have to participate in, in that corporate system. There are options. And, and one of the things that I realized when I got fired was that I knew at least a dozen guys who could show me a, a way out. And I thought, you know, I could take one of those paths or I could bring all those guys together and try to teach other people and say like, you know, let's, let's get everybody kind of out of this box. Uh, let's set everybody free. So, so the, the structure of the program is the dues paying fraternal organization. You pay it, you pay uh, your dues every month, you get access to the brain trust of the group and all the, all the expertise that they have sort of on an informal basis, but you also get early access to the podcast exclusive uh, seminars and Q and A's where we bring in an expert to talk to the guys and address some issue, whether it's crypto, whether it's homesteading, getting involved in the trades. And I thought it was a good idea to bring Chase in for this first call since he's an expert in like three of those areas. And so I've been leaning on him to produce some of our, our, our earliest content. So Chase, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what interested you about Exit? So I... As Dr. Bennett pointed out, contractor, been involved in the trades for many years. I uh, dropped out of college because didn't find it as appealing as I thought I would and decided to get into construction and I never looked back. So I've enjoyed it quite a bit. And when Dr. Bennett first pointed out to me exit and kind of his vision, his, his idea, I, it resonated. Uh, I understand the power of networks, the power of having guys that you can turn to when you need something done. Obviously in the trades, that's very important to me. If I have a job that needs to be done by an electrician, I'm calling that electrician. If I have a question about some goofy plumbing thing that I come across, which happens way too often, I will call the plumbers and say, hey, this is what I'm looking at. What are your thoughts? So I see the power of networks, the power of being able to meet with others, to kind of combine forces, to, to brainstorm on issues that you may face, and then move forward with a plan. And I've seen that work in my life. And I just wanted to help bring what little bit I know and what little bit of experience, the, the, uh, the sweat, the blood, the tears I've earned. I want to share that with others and, and help and see others succeed because there's a lot of joy in that. Yeah. So for, from our conversations, there's no doubt in my mind that you have the capacity to do the work. <laughs> 
in college or anything else. So tell me why you didn't, what, tell me why you, why you got out of college. So I was in college for biotechnology, which is, I still, still in the back of my mind, I still have a, a great love for. And, and I was full of all kinds of dreams and just beautiful visions of biotechnology could fix all the problems we've ever faced as humanity. We can bioengineer E. coli viruses to pick up lead and heavy metal contaminants in rivers. And we spray the river banks and then we just go through and just pick up the lead afterwards. And we can engineer tomatoes to grow in the desert with absolutely no water. And we, the, the list goes on and on. And I just, very, very rose colored glasses. I thought this was the way forward. As I studied it more and more, I took a few ethics classes and I found out a lot of my religious convictions, a lot of my morals left me in the minority. Uh, and that was something I grappled with for a long time. Could I really work and be surrounded by people that want to play God? I wasn't comfortable with it. And I had to take a semester off. When I had that semester off, I got back into construction and I started working for a couple of different contractors. And I was like, you know what? I love working with my hands. I love hanging out with the guys. There's something really rewarding about showing up to a job site with a stack of lumber. And at the end of the day, you're walking away from a framed out house. And there was a lot of reward for that in me. There was some good money in it for me. And slowly over time, things snowballed, started my own company. And to, to make money kind of an easier route, I decided to pick up landscaping during the summer, during the winter, I'll do remodels. So that's that, kind of where I started and where I'm going. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a huge black box for people in my situation. I was raised in kind of an upper middle-class suburb where we weren't even mm -hmm. like the schools actually eliminated shop classes and, and yeah, the rationale travesty, was like, travesty. <laughs> yeah, they were like, you don't need to know this because you're all going uh, to college and you're just, you're going to pay the little people to do that for you. You're, you're going to pay some goofball like Chase to go do it for you. So I think a lot of guys would prefer because they, they, they go into these, they go into the schools and they, and they have the same experience you're having where it's like, my values are really hard to find, you know, anybody who shares them here and you go into the corporate world and it's exactly the same and it gets worse the higher up you go. And I think a lot of guys have this idea that there's just not enough money to support a family working with your hands and talk. I've, I've met enough guys like you to know that that's not the case. So part of my goal with this is to like open up and it's, you know, it's not just trades, but it's kind of the whole gamut of software jobs, things you can do remotely, anything that makes you anti-fragile, anything that makes you robust to coercion, able to say no. And exit is not just for Latter-day Saints or even for conservatives or any, like it's not for one group, it's for anybody that wants to get out. But from my perspective as a Latter-day Saint, I'm watching as the fundamentals of what we believe are becoming less and less acceptable in, in polite society. And uh, there's a book uh, by, by Orson Scott Card called Stone Tables, and it's about Moses and the, the Exodus. It's, it's a fictionalized kind of version of that. And the, the, in his version of it, the Hebrews sort of start as like the literate upper middle class kind of bureaucrat servants of the Egyptians. And they're very well taken care of and very comfortable. And then a new pharaoh comes in and they're viewed as sort of the the allies of the old regime. And so they're all persecuted and, and enslaved. 
And there's a lot of things about that book that are kind of goofy, but it was spooky to me how much it matches the experience of Latter-day Saints right now, because we were so embedded in corporate America and even the intelligence community, law enforcement, you know, the, the whole Mormon fed meme and those institutions that, that we sort of attached ourselves to have either changed so much that they're now hostile to us or the institutions have fallen out of favor and are no longer cool with sort of the powers that be. And so we have to get out. And the purpose of exit for people in that situation is to kind of get out while the getting's good to prepare so that you have a place to land. And eventually the dream is to create for my friends, for my group, enough geographic mobility where if I help a dozen guys get remote software jobs, not necessarily software, but just any, anything where they can move, then those guys, maybe they decide that they want to move somewhere together and start something together. And then, you know, maybe they need people to start building houses. Maybe they need, you know, people to, to start working these trades. And so like, obviously I can't, I'm not in control of all of that, but I feel like I can play a role in sort of planting some seeds that somebody else can harvest. So with that in mind, I wanted to talk to you about this landscaping idea because I, I asked you to run a module for me to, to build some, some, some content with me. And I knew that you had all kinds of things you could potentially teach. And you immediately said to me, well, if you want the easiest one to get into, it's landscaping bar none. So tell me a little bit about that. What makes landscaping so attractive from like a starting from zero perspective? So often when you think kind of grass cutters, your mind's going to go more towards that's what teenagers do. That's what I did when I was 12 years old, et cetera, et cetera. That's why it's easy to get into because even even a teenager can do it. It's very easy to break into. It's just, it's going to require a little bit of gut work, but the costs are low. It's easy to break into. And you can do it as a side gig, a little side hustle to save some money on the side. Slowly transition yourself out of corporate life if you wanted to. Spend some time outdoors, breathing the fresh air, smelling the flowers, talking to your customers, hearing the appreciation in their voice. It's, it's very rewarding. It's very easy to break into. And eventually you'll be um, someone, someone in one of the chats was talking about how they know guys that started and five years later, they're just hanging out with their housewives, cash and checks. If you want that to be the goal, make that the goal because it's very attainable. And, and the, the beauty of this module to me is that it's going to hold your hand from weekend side hustle. I can only do this on Saturdays, right? Because I got a day job to... All right, I have built enough of a client, enough of a book that I have enough to keep me busy and I've established, you know, some savings from this business because it's very low overhead business. You, you know, you're just, it's almost all profit apart from, you know, the, the value of your labor, obviously, which it's a lot. Yeah. But you, you go from, I'm, I'm working Saturdays and I'm saving the money and I'm building the book until I've got enough saved that I can take maybe two months. Uh, I've got two months of my expenses paid for. And then I'm going to spend those two months expanding that client book into a full-time, I'm always, I'm always mowing lawns. Well, and you also talk. the beautiful thing too, as I say, the beautiful thing too about this is you think it's seasonal, but you, you can start at any time. So if it's the middle of December and you need, I need, I need a side gig, I need something to do. Guess what? You're going to go and you're going to hang flyers on doors, very cheap, very easy to do that you can do yourself in an afternoon to just shovel snow. Okay. And you're going to start building up a base that way. Or in the fall time, the leaves are falling. We're not cutting grass anymore. Guess what? You're going to go out and pick up leaves. And what do you need for that? You need a rake. 
maybe a leaf blower if you can spring it in the budget and some trash bags. And just, it's going to take a little bit of manual labor, but you can start this at any time. It's not just, okay, I have to wait until next March or April to start. No, you can start today if you want to. And if you're ready to put in the work. Yeah. I I actually, uh, I've been thinking about this myself because one of the biggest challenges with like bagging up leaves is you got to have somewhere to put them and like dump runs can be really expensive, but I got 10 acres. So I can just go in the back 40 and just dump those leaves. You know what I mean? Yes. And, and the chickens will love it and yeah. the wild critters will love it and it will break down and augment your soil in future years and you will be much happier. And yeah. So that's, that's definitely something that I'm going to do come, come fall when the leaves start to turn. But so <laughs> we, the goal of this, of this program, this module is to tell you exactly what to buy. We're going to tell you exactly what to charge, which is going to vary a little bit by your neighborhood, but you're going to have like a starting point to say, all right, you know, maybe this price is a little high. Maybe I recalibrate, but we're going to give you a price. We're going to tell you how to build your customer base, what neighborhoods to go into when you're starting out, what neighborhoods you can expand into, how to increase your efficiency so that you're instead of jumping all over town to, to, to address sort of client needs, you're like, I'm taking care of every lawn on this street and I'm just going boom, 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 boom. You know, 40 bucks, 40 bucks, 40 bucks, 20 minutes at a time, 25 minutes at a time. We're going to talk about how to take payments, how to deal with getting stiffed, when you need to have a contract, when you need to demand a deposit uh, ahead of time, uh, how to hire your first employee. And so that's how it scales from side hustle to full-time job to you're running a small business. We're going to give you all the forms and marketing materials so that once you've picked your business's name and logo, you, you're going to have just a blank PDF. You slap your logo on there. That's your form. That's your flyer. And so the, the, the overall goal of this is to just have something that you don't really have to think about. You, you just pick it up and execute it. And, you know, you were telling me that it's about a thousand dollar budget up front. And then, you know, guys making seven figures doing this. So we're saying, how to take, how to turn a thousand dollars into a million dollars with this landscaping business. Yeah. And if you're willing to put in the sweat and the hard work and that, that kind of sweat equity into this business, you can do it. Uh, yeah. I'm not in the seven figure range yet. That's a long-term goal of mine. But you and know people who are. And, oh yeah. Yeah. And there's guys that, uh, one of my favorite guys I pointed out to Dr. Bennett, there's a group of brothers that work together and they work six months out of the year, cutting grass, 10 to 12 hour days. That's all they do is just cut grass. And then the other six months of the year, they move down to Florida, move down to Texas, down to their beach homes and live on the beach and be beach bums for those six months off. And they just enjoy life, raise their kids. I think most of them homeschool, if I remember right. And so they get to be involved in their children's lives, get to spend lots of time with their families. It's just those six months of really hard, dedicated work. And they do hire guys, they bring guys on and they they're trans they're working and transitioning towards getting to that point where it's it's a business that's going to operate itself and they can kind of just sit back and enjoy life a little bit which is a wonderful goal to have and i we're all shooting for it yeah again i feel like there's a mentality among uh sort of white collar wage slaves that like either the job is too physically demanding for them to, to to gut through or that you have to work yourself physically 
until you're in your 60s and it's just sort of like this subsistence farming thing where you're not saving you're not but that's not the case at all you're you're building you're building this clientele and then you are sort of outsourcing the labor part the gut part the hard part so like no lie it's 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 a grind for a while but but it opens up and there's an end to that and there's a payoff to that which honestly like in the corporate world, that is not always the case. Like a lot of times the reward for working really hard in the corporate world is you get to work a lot harder and you get to make, you know, more money, but when, but when are you going to spend it? Like when, when you're, when you're 65, that's when you're going to spend it and you're old and busted. So yeah. I, 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 and, and, and there's another, there's another component to this that I wanted to address, which is my mindset as I've gone into working for myself has changed just dramatically, just overnight. And it's happened several times in my life. This is not the first time this has happened. So like I said, grew up, grew up, I was always going to go to college. That was, it it didn't even occur to me that there was another possibility. And I was always just unbelievably lazy in school, just always like bare minimum. And I, you know, as a bright guy, I did okay, but it was constantly like, you're not living up to your potential. And so I grew up kind of believing that this was sort of a inherent flaw in my character. But then I go on the mission and I find that it is just the easiest thing in the world for me to knock doors for 14 hours a day, every day, you know, well, six days a week. Right. And, and then I, I, I I get done with that experience. I go back, I go to college. College is the same way. I'm, I'm lazy. I'm underperforming. I'm wasting my life on video games. Then I graduate and I don't have a job. I got a baby on the way. And then I go work for a friend of mine making 10 bucks an hour working on his sort of like summer cabin. And that, you know, I have no problem working 12, 14 hour days doing that. So it's like, I'm I'm realizing there's something about myself. Like I, I know that I can work, but something about a desk is just really hard for me. And now, you know, I'm, uh, uh, liberated from, (laughs) from uh from that corporate situation where i was basically inert professionally for like three years four years and now it's easy to work again i'm you know i'm i'm, I'm banging out 16 hour days mostly because i can't eat or sleep sleep right now <laughs> but it feels good and i feel like you know exactly the the freedom there's a lot of freedom in in having that liberation but and there's you got to keep the discipline. You got to keep the drive. You got to keep those things going. And sometimes it's a pain, but there's just, there's a lot more freedom in saying, okay, I'm my own boss. This is nice. If I need to take things a little bit slower today, I can do that. If I need to kick it up in high gear, it's the same principles as having to work in the corporate life, but the rewards are just so much more sweet. They're so much sweeter. They're so much more apparent. And it's, it materializes in front of you so much quicker because instead of just punching the time clock, filling out the spreadsheet, calling it a day and then never looking at that spreadsheet ever again, you can slowly see this progression in your own life of you're building this business, you're building whatever it may be, whatever field it's in, you're building it for yourself. There's just such a great reward in that. Exactly. It's yours. You can put your name on it. You can be proud of it. um, and, And you can do with it what you want, which is just, it's so liberating and it's so nice. And I've, as far as corporate jobs go, I could say I might have had one. I worked for kind of a, a large contractor that worked for that was covered multiple states. 
and and there's some corporate aspects. We had an HR department, but it, it's all construction. 99% of the workforce was, was male. And so we, it's the construction industry. We have a much different mentality. Yeah. But even then getting away from that company for me, it was like, this is so nice to be able to just go out and make something of myself. And it's just so rewarding and it's so exhilarating and it's worth it. It's, you might be terrified to walk away from that desk, walk away from the security of that paycheck, but there's more to life than just that. And so I, was, I think about it. That's, that's what I'm going to tell the listeners. Think about it. There's really take some time to really think about that. If it's worth it to you or not. Yeah. So that, and, and you know, a lot of, a lot of guys, it, myself included up, up to two weeks ago, uh, <laughs> was like, that sounds awesome. I love that idea. I'm so bought in, but like, I haven't invented a better mousetrap yet. And so I don't like, like, I, I don't know, how, like, I don't know how to get in. I don't, I don't know what my, what my big idea is that I'm going to start a business with. And so the beauty of this is like, you don't have to reinvent anything. You can just go work, man. And pick, pick something you're comfortable with and just jump in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was reading in my scriptures about the flesh pots of Egypt the other day. Cause I was thinking about my salary, thinking about the check that I got at the end of every month, um, which was a, a, a pretty okay check. Um, and, 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 you know, the children of Israel are, are, are in the desert. They've, they've, they've been, they've kind of burned their boats. Like they're not going to go back to Egypt. There's no going back. They just kill them if they went back which resonated with me. And they're saying, you know, well, well, we're in the desert now. We don't really have a plan. There's no food. And they're saying, like, I wish that we just died in Egypt where we had the where we had the big flesh pots and we could just get what we wanted. And I think about being in direct contact with Providence. And let me explain what I mean by that. So, like, if you're a farmer uh, or even like a salesman, you know, on an intimate level that, like, whether or not you succeed is partly up to your effort, but a lot of it is you know, a lot of guys would say chance, but really it's God, you know, God has to make the rainfall. God has to keep the bugs off. God has to, you know what I'm saying? Like if, if he's not cooperating with you, it doesn't matter what you do. So if you're, if you're uh, a, if you're a Hebrew slave in Egypt, you're not directly connected to that risk. Like they deliver you the food and you make the bricks and it, it's a trickle. It's a tiny piece of like these, cause the Egyptians are, are working the most fertile land in the world at the time, basically. And so they're pulling in tons and they're giving the Hebrews just as much as they can, just as much as they can get away with. Just enough to keep them interested, keep them around. Yeah. Right. And I think about sort of Satan's plan. Satan, Satan says, uh, I'll take care of everything. I will do it not one soul will be lost. Like I'll, I'll parcel out your little trickle of, of reward. And I'm going to, and I'm going to get rid of the, of the danger. And I really think that, I really think that one of the reasons why God wants us to be free from, from subjugation, from bondage is so that our ability to understand our dependence on him is very close and very intimate so that we don't feel like our livelihood is dependent on obeying some corporate egregore, some idol. 
And this is, this is living a kind of a higher on a higher level, really, because having that connection, I think one of the biggest things in my life, a big eye-opening experience I had was planting a garden many years ago and in a, in a suburban backyard with some pretty moderately bad soil, but just putting those seeds in the soil exactly as, as you pointed out and just saying, look, it doesn't matter how much work I put into this. I mean, I could sit there every single day and just tend to these little things. And if, if God wills it, those dang seeds are not going to pop. They're not going to sprout. They're not going to do a single thing. You have to rely on them. You have to trust in them. And that's a terrifying thing to think about what the Israelites had to go to. And it wasn't easy. It was not a walk in the park because then they misbehave. They do some inappropriate things. They spent 40 years in the desert struggling. And sometimes you walk away from comforts. You're going to have to go through the struggle. And that's tough. That's terrifying. You need to be you need to be cognizant of those things. You need to be mindful of that. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a struggle. But what's the end goal? This promised land. And in your own personal life, that's a greater connection to, to God. It's a greater relationship with your family. It's more financial independence. It's greater just long-term security where you're not reliant on somebody else to have to write the check for you. You yeah. know God's going to provide for you depending on how much work you're willing to put in. And so like so, on one level, on one level, their, their fear made sense. Yes, it did. Of course like, it did. Because it's like there, there really isn't any food. Like No. no. Um, you got sand and, and sagebrush, man. Good luck. Right. But on, on, on another level, they just watch God burn down the most powerful empire in their, in their world for them to make this happen. And they'd see exactly. miracle after miracle after miracle. So it's, it's, it's like, and, and that's my, you know, I, I feel like that's my situation. You know, I, I watched, um, I watched JRC get, get, get chucked under the bus. Um, oh. And, 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 and doxed and, and have his livelihood destroyed. And then there was a, then there was an 8.2 earthquake outside Anchorage. And, mm, and yes. I just, and yeah. I just thought like, <laughs> I thought like, and you know, nobody was hurt, but I, I was like, that's a shot across the bow, man. That's, that's uh it was, I mean, it was the same day. It was like, it was like a couple hours away. And in our situation, um, actually the, the morning I got fired, uh, my wife went horseback riding with uh, with some folks in in the ward, and they said, "Did you guys feel the earthquake this morning?" And and I could I no joke I, I I couldn't find any information about it, so like I don't even know if it was real. But my wife wow. was like, crying like because I told her about the earthquake in Alaska. Yeah, and uh, you know, there's a there's a verse that says you'll be in league with the stones of the field. Like all of uh, all of creation on your side. I say I, I remember a, a, a post a couple a tweet a couple of weeks ago from uh, from the esteemed Dr. Bennett talking about how he's out with a lawnmower destroying the rocks in the field, but it seems the rocks <laughs> it seems the rocks have forgiven him and are now working in his favor. It's, God God is cognizant of us. Do not yeah. forget it. So yeah. do not doubt. Yeah, he's on your side. He's rooting for you, he's in your corner. Absolutely. And like, I, you know, I, I really, I don't want to make this like a prosperity gospel thing. It's not like, no, no, it's not like, what am I trying to say? There's not, there's not like a moral imperative to go make a lot of money and people who struggle, it's not because they're, uh, you know, less valiant or less, whatever. Uh, we're all called to go through different things, but I do believe very strongly that there's a spiritual component to being 
self-reliant and reliant on yes. God. And, yes. and the more, the more freedom you can have from tyranny, the more you can free yourself from tyranny in a, in a peaceful way. Well, let me put it this way. Sometimes, sometimes in order to serve God, you have to, you have to be able to say no to other people. Exactly. And, and, and we are in a stage of the game where the things that they're asking us to do are not acceptable. And we have to be able to say no and walk away. And so that I think is a moral imperative. And even if you don't, uh, th- this is one piece of the puzzle, this thing I'm trying to do, but I do think that it's part of the puzzle. I think it's part of the solution to sort of the modern uh, predicament. It definitely is. So, so I wanted to talk to you because uh, about, about your, uh, your chicken farming business, because that's a whole <laughs> nother avenue. So like we, uh, we've had several friends. So we, we raise chickens now we've got 15, uh, chickens and sort of bafflingly simple at that level. Um, like I, I, I can't believe more people don't do it. And so many of our friends have asked us like, or, or have said like, gosh, that sounds cool. I'd love to raise chickens, but I don't have like a farm to raise them on. Or I don't like, I, I, I wouldn't know where to start. And for us, it's literally like, well, they gotta have, they gotta have food. They gotta have water. They gotta have like a, uh, covered space where the critters can't get to them and like exactly it, it's not real complicated and yeah and so, no it really isn't so tell me about how you got into that scene and like you know uh the land that you're working right now it's not it's not like deep black like ohio river valley like you know not, Midwestern not soil. yet fingers crossed <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd like to be there one day but we're not there yet no we're that's and that's so a little little bit of background. My wife and I, when we were dating, this has always been kind of a dream in the back of our minds. We've always said we want to homestead or we want to farm. We want to do something. And we joked when we were dating about moving to Hawaii and opening up a dairy, Aloha Dairy or something cute like that. Because you know milk is twenty dollars a gallon or whatever it is out in the islands. And Hawaii is a pretty place, and it would be fun to you know, milk cows while you're looking over the ocean, standing on volcanic ash, but uh, not a huge fan of the politics of the state and and all the regulations required to drag cattle out there. But so as long as we've been married, we've been looking at land and saying, okay, we want to get out of the city. We want to get out of the suburbs. We want to live on some land. We want to kind of go our own way, raise our own food, know where it came from, be comfortable with it. Um, And the fun thing about chickens, the world would be a lot better place if everyone just had a couple of chickens, the, the things they'll teach you, it's amazing to just sit and watch these silly little animals, descendants of the dinosaurs, little, little velociraptors run around your yard. It's just fun to watch them and sit there and appreciate them. And obviously they, they do give you a, a, something in return. You take care of them, you're sweet with them, and, and you get these wonderful little things every morning, these little eggs that they're just divine. You raise your own your eggs. You can't go back to supermarket eggs. It just it ruins it for you. Um, and, and if you do any little bit of research into it, you suddenly realize, oh, wow, I don't want to eat those eggs because of what those, chickens have to, uh, what those chickens have to go through. Yes, exactly. And no so kidding. my wife, my wife and I, when we picked up, we picked up this land about two years ago um, and we, the easiest animal to get into, the easiest thing to start with are chickens. And so we picked up, we picked up 30 New Hampshire reds because they're we're in Colorado. New Hampshire Reds are really good in the cold. They're really hardy. They're much more friendly towards children. I've got some younger kids. So we started with these guys, raised them up, got them 
second day they were born from the post office. We, we did the whole set up a brooder and, and got them through the winter. And, and it, it's kind of fun too, because then a neighbor up the road was moving. She had to get rid of some of her chickens. So we picked up like six, seven more chickens. Someone had a rooster that lives in the city and they, they can't have a rooster. So we got, we adopted the rooster. My wife's at the feed store. There's a, there's a fresh, fresh patch of chicks and they're, Oh, they're so cute. Yeah. And look at what they grow up to sweetheart. But she brings <laughs> home a couple of baby chicks that are her, her little flock. And, and it slowly just starts growing. And so all of a sudden we have, we're up to now 60 egg layers. And so what we do is we, we just, we have a electric net and a, a mobile coop that we drag around the property to kind of target different areas. So the chickens will go through, eat the grass, eat the weeds, eat the bugs, drop their fertilizer all over creation, which is a beautiful thing to see because I want that black soil. Yeah. And then we, we collect the eggs and we sell the eggs and, and we're kind of operating at cost neutral because we're able to sell these eggs to different people. And, and there's some rules that we're following, some, some laws that we are mindful of. And so we have to be careful about how much we sell. We can't go over 250 dozen a month, which we're not anywhere near, but there's certain numbers we have to play with and we have to follow the rules. We wash our eggs, we refrigerate them, but we sell them as farm fresh eggs and people in the cities just love it. Um, we've got several chiropractors that are customers of ours and they just, and they'll, they'll buy them by the kind of in bulk packs, five dozen at a time and, and go through them and they just love them to death. It's a nice solid kind of deep orangey yolk. Um, and it's just a, it's a beautiful thing to, it's just so much better. Like I was saying about taste. Yeah. It's just a better and product. Then, Exactly. And then, and so this transitions into, well, if you can, if you can raise egg laying chickens, you can raise meat chickens. Um, and so the principle is the same. We want them outdoors. I, I'm not a huge fan of free range. I want them to be contained in certain areas, which is why we use electric netting to move why them is around. That? Why are you not a fan of free range? Uh, Cause I don't want to step out my front door into chicken squat. Oh, okay. So, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, there's, there's that aspect, but also there is a, there is a bit of a predator problem. Um, and, and so having them contained within a certain area, they're still on pasture. They still have a sizable area to run around. It gets moved every day. Um, every other day, if I'm, if I'm a little bit behind, but they get fresh grass every couple of days um, so that they can enjoy, they can live their best life. They can have fun. They can be happy chickens. Um, and, and they can be safe me. from predators. Yeah, exactly. And so we raise them up and, and we've experimented. This year has been our experimentation with the meat. And our first set, uh, we, we weren't as pleased with how they turned out. I'm a big fan of uh, Joel Salatin and his methods. And I've looked at John Siskovich and I've looked at kind of a lot of other of these guys and the big names in the industry. I don't know anything about that. What, what are those? Uh, <laughs> so those are a couple of guys that kind of the pioneers of in the field and they've they've come up with different ways to build coops and different ways to in raise the field chickens of chicken and, farming oh yeah yeah it's okay it's a whole obscure science we could we could delve into and go down but these these men have kind of influenced me and in some of my thinking and i've figured out what taking their models and saying okay this works for them i'm going to try it and there's a couple things that don't work and so i've been able to sit there and modify how we do things um, but there's, there is a demand and, and these chickens, we sell them at a premium. Um, but we've, we've had several, a couple of our harvests, we've had people come out and, and watch us do the harvest or 
we're going to take this live chicken. We're going to go through the process. I've got a fun Twitter thread about it if you want to read about it. But there's a process where you have to harvest humanely, kill these animals, and prepare them so you can eat them. And, you, and, and the world would be a much better place if we had a better connection with our food. And we've kind of gotten away from that as a society, unfortunately. You ask people, hey, where does your chicken come from? Well, it comes from McDonald's or it comes from the grocery store. Yeah. Okay, well, take a step back. And where does that come from? And a lot of people don't realize kind of what goes into that and the sacrifice of the animal and not to wax too religious or philosophical, but you do need to respect the animal and ensure that it has the best life possible, not only for a better product, but just because I think God's going to hold us accountable for how we've treated these animals. So yeah, there's a lot. It's that's another it's component. Very- that's another component of exit. It's, it's not just how you make your yeah. money, but it's there, there's elements of consumption that you don't want to participate in. There's elements yes. of, there's elements of that system that are evil too. And, and, um, and yeah, chickens, like it's, it's, it's such an easy way to, cause, cause you know, like I was saying, you're, you're, you're on relatively marginal land. Uh, you could like, honestly, our, so I'm finding that our chickens like don't even want, to range out that far like they they, Mm -hmm. they're not particularly interested in exploring like they're they're pretty homebody animals yeah yeah different breeds will have different reactions we've got kind of in our wild pack of chickens that my wife's collected there's some that'll try and fly up and sit on the roof and (laughs) we'll run across the field if we let them and there's others that they just want to sit in the coop all day and just hang out and and take a couple dust baths they they have different personalities and different things and what yeah. you were mentioning earlier is about, I mean, starting with, with, uh, was it 15 chickens? Yeah. Is it's all scalable and people don't understand that is, is raising your own birds in your backyard in the middle of suburbia or raising them out on land. This is something you can do. You can start with a handful of chickens, raise them yourself. Our good friend, Adam, he had a good thought one day on Twitter about these are, these are like 10 or $12, a dozen eggs. Is it really worth it? Mm-hmm it's worth it because there's more than just the food that you're getting out of it. There's a, there's yeah. a lot of, there's a lot of life lessons. There's a lot of, Oh yeah. Uh, I got my, got my kid, the fertilizer. So yeah. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. I got my kid, you know, scrubbing out the coop and, and, and sort of shepherding <laughs> chickens back into the pen. And there's all kinds of jobs that, uh, that a little kid can do. And that's, that's another yeah. piece of this is the corporate, sort of white collar service industry model of family life. Kids are totally alienated from what their parents do for a living. They're fundamentally in a lot of, in a lot of ways, sort of alienated from just productivity period from doing anything that's useful to anybody else. And, you know, the, the, in my opinion, cope about that is like, well, it's their job. It's their job to go to school. It's their job to get an education, but like, Uh... Uh, you know, I remember public school. That was a place to put us. That was, that was just a holding pen. It was, and, it was the day, it was the daycare. So yeah. And the things that I learned, I learned on accident, learned on my own time while I was pretending to listen during class. And so part of the goal of remote work, part of the goal of homesteading, trade work, all of these things. And the one thing that they have in common, in addition to making you less vulnerable to cancellation, coercion is that they're all things that a kid can understand and participate in. If you're, if you're, I know that you're, your kind of trade specialty is carpentry. 
And like, there's a lot of that, that your little kids can't do, but they can go get your tools. They can go, you know, bring me that board and watch you, and you watch you work. And, and kids are fascinated by that stuff. I mean, Mr. Rogers neighborhood, you know, they, they love watching sort of the process of, of how real jobs are done. So, yeah. Well, uh, and, and as a, as a father, some of the most rewarding projects I've ever worked on have been something silly and little that my son has asked me to do. So building his lemonade stand, building a little fort out of pallet wood oh, um, yeah, man. and, and talking with him and, and he's, he's just five years old, but sitting there and talking him through the process and okay, well, what do we need next? Well, we need screws or we need nails. Okay. Well, where are they? Well, he knows in dad's tool tank, he, it, whereabouts it is. And so he'll go to the door and open it up and ask me to carry it. But handing him a, like a, um, a small ball peen hammer and some finishing nails and saying, hey, here's a board, just whack at it. The kids <laughs> love that, man. Just let them do it. Let them no, be totally. a kid. Let them, let them experiment a little. This is, and this is, and maybe it's just me, but this is how I learn is by having to do and go through the process and and the first time I hit a nail with the hammer, I'm pretty sure I bent the nail in half. I don't remember, but over the years and over the hundreds of thousands of nails, I've had to either drive in with a gun or, or hammer in uh, that first one mattered. And, and so it's let your kids experience those things and, and yeah. let them be involved in your life. Let them see you work. And I, I have fond memories of my dad waking me up Saturday mornings to go and cut grass and how much I hated that. And look at it now. I, I built a business out of it. And so it's yeah. let, let them experience it, guide them, teach them, hold their hand a little bit and, and do it with them. And, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing to watch your child learn something that's that you see as easy and they have to struggle with it. And, and then you start to realize I had to struggle with it. And it's a very humbling experience. So much of being a parent is closing the loop and seeing, seeing yourself from the outside <laughs> on, on both ends, because, yes. because yes. you'll find yourself. Yes. So, so my, my oldest boy, you can be like James, 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 James. And you like, <laughs> you have to yell at him. Like you're mad at him for yes. him to even come online at all. And it never did that when he was a child. No, that was hundred <laughs> percent me. That's exactly how I was. And I was, you know, the, the sort of feelings of, like I was talking about earlier, feelings of kind of laziness, uselessness, you know, you're smart, but you're never going to amount to anything. Uh, you know, I, I look at my son and I go, he's a pretty neat kid. I, 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 I like him quite a bit, even though we, I'm having to yell like will, a dad. Yeah. Uh, we will um, watch his career with much interest because he's going places. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and then on the other hand, getting to remember my parents doing that to mm -hmm. me and how it felt mm -hmm. hostile and how it felt aggressive and me being like, oh no, I was just, that was just a really challenging thing for them. Like <laughs> they, they, were, they weren't like, I mean, they were, they were frustrated, but like it, yes. it was still from a place of love and, and sort of just sort of. Yeah helping you understand and, and parenthood is so is so valuable for that and and it, yes. it, it's it's unfortunate that so many people in our in our culture are going way late in their lives without ever closing those loops yeah no don't don't wait don't delay um it and it will work out that's the interesting thing and the uh the paradigm shift in life when you when you're growing up 
and I know this is different for everyone, but there comes a point in your life where you suddenly realize I'm an adult. My parents were adults. I'm an idiot. They're idiots. <laughs> and that, that it's just such an eye-opening experience to suddenly realize that. And, and hopefully your heart's in the right place and, and you're forgiving enough to realize parenthood does not come with a manual. You got to struggle through it a bit. And it's some days you just, you pull your hair out. And I mean, I don't have a whole lot of it left, but you're like, how am I going to figure this out? How am I going to get through this? It's going to work out. We all struggled with it, but yeah, close the loop. So I, I wanted to talk to you about your situation because you made a decision to move out to the country without a house. Uproot my family. Yes. Yeah. There's, there's, you're building your house right now. Correct. Yeah. And so yeah, we're working on it. So part of what I see as the challenge of exit is if you're a, if you're a patriarch in your home and you have a wife and kids, you have a responsibility to them. And that for a lot of guys in corporate America is sort of the gun to their head. That's, that's how they're kept compliant is I can't put my family through that. And, you know, candidly putting your family into a trailer while you build a house is like, that's a lot to ask. And so, well, and it's, so it's insanity, man. I, I question my own judgment about it daily. So, well, so t- but tell me about how you view that challenge and how you sort of act as a leader in your home and make that workable for everybody. Yeah. So we, so we were in the great booming metropolis of Denver. My wife and I purchased a town home. We brought two of our babies home to it. And we had done a bunch of renovations on it, fixed it up. And the market was hot a couple of years ago. And we were like, it's time to, it's time to make a move. We, we just felt really strongly about it. We started looking at land. We found, and initially we were looking at just tiny little lots. So we were looking at five acre lots, six acre lots, kind of still suburban rural connection. But we just, we kept hunting. We kept looking. We finally found our little diamond in the rough out here. And we had a, there's a well that's very old. I mean, God willing, it lasts for another five, 10 years. We had electrical running to the property and a very old, out-of-date electrical panel that scares me and gives me nightmares even to this day. A rundown stable, and that was it. And so we were like, okay, the money we can make off the townhome, we can pay for the land, but there's not going to be a whole lot left else in the budget. And building a house is not a cheap prospect, especially when you start looking at, like you can look at material and say, okay, well, it's, it's whatever, uh, $100,000 for material. Okay. Well now think about the labor think of, and like, I can do all this stuff. It's not terrifying to me. And I've got connections. I can pull a lot of favors. I can get my electricians out here to do a lot of electrical work for me. I'm going to have to grill them a steak or two and, and keep them happy. And so they don't complain too much, but, and I know plumbers and I know concrete finishers and I've got some other carpenters I can call up and they can help me frame the whole nine yards. We can do this. Um, but, but it's daunting and it's, it's terrifying. And I think for me, that was, that's one of the motivators is I have this responsibility to now three children because we brought one home to a trailer. How crazy am I? <laughs> and my sweet wife who has the patience of a saint, there's a great, I don't know if it's duty, if it's, I think it's love. It's a higher motivation than just duty because I want to provide the best possible for them. So it's like, yes, we're living in a trailer, beautiful 24 foot long camper from the mid nineties. 
<laughs> gorgeous interior, very dated. My wife's updated some of it. Very uncomfortable when it's, you know, 10 degrees out and the wind's blowing at 60 miles an hour. Um, but there's also some other lessons that I've had to learn in this situation about the importance of kind of like, I haven't looked at a TV in two years. I haven't touched a video game in, in about the same amount of time. I don't have time for it and there's no space yeah. for it. So there's a lot of things that I've had to set aside and say, these things aren't important. What, what is important? Yeah. Making sure they're comfortable, making sure they're safe, taking care of them and making sure everything works right. And it's, like I said, it's, there's some days where it's terrifying. I question my own sanity frequently and saying, is it, is it really what I want to do? And this goes back to kind of just in your daily grind, are you forgetting the big picture? What is your big picture? I want my wife's dream house and we agree yeah. on it. It's not just, it's not just her choice Her aesthetics. I wouldn't have picked them, but having gone through the plans, having gone through the blueprints, having gone through the design phase, I love it. I've fallen in love with this house and I see this house and I'm like, I want to be in that house and I want to raise my children in this house. And I want to see my grandkids in this house. Yeah. And I want my great, great, great grandkids to run through the hallways and touch the walls and know that I made this for them. And, and I want to build that kind of intergenerational connection and love and just say, this is I, everything I do is for you guys. I want this for you. And the fact and that so, you know, every every stick in that house <laughs> i know where the dang wires are so if i have to rewire a room i could find it pretty dang quick. well you know like i think about the yeah. way the church the way the church builds the temples you know they're, they're one of the yes. only sort of builders in the world that is building sort of uh monumental architecture architecture that's yes. designed the last centuries and in, in in cash and done to the highest industry standards i know a lot of guys that have worked on those temples they are the finest craftsmen and tradesmen that I will ever meet on, on this, in this mortal plane. Just absolutely phenomenal. The things that they can come up with the yeah. troubleshooting when there's complications, when, when code runs into, cause there's lots of code that's just kind of redundant and they'll run into some of those things where it's like, do we sacrifice the aesthetic for the code? No, we'll make them work together. And it's, it's such a beautiful process. And that's, what's your big vision. Keep that in mind. And yeah. that's, that's what keeps and, me going. That's what keeps me motivated. That's what gets me out the door in the morning. That's what keeps me up till one, two, three in the morning, doing invoicing, doing paperwork, um, trying to figure out the next big step. It's having that big grand vision and it's a, it's a beautiful thing. So, and when you're, I don't mean to keep belaboring this, but when you're alienated no, from, from the physical craft, yeah. when, when you're, when you're alienated from physical labor, then all you can get is what you can pay for. And the, the concept of FU money is relative to, first of all, it's, it's relative to what you can give up, what you can sacrifice. Yeah. It's also relative to what you can do for yourself, right? Because if you're on a, on a sort of middle-class income and, you, and it's just white-collar work and you don't know anything about trades and you don't know anybody who knows anything about trades, then... If, if you want to do something like this, you're sort of at the mercy of, of the market as far as like, you know, you're not going to be able to afford the, the beautiful, the lasting, the permanent, but you're in this situation where, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to be a bazillionaire to build a legacy for yourself. 
And that to me is just so admirable. And that's what I want. I want to be in that world, man. And you no, know, it's, it's, a, it's a great place to be. Come on over. Yeah. And, and, and for me, you know, I, I think I, I can't quit what I'm doing right now because I, because this, this task is sort of what I'm called to do. Um, I'm not going to go become a general contractor, but part of my goal with this project is to get to know the people who can point me in the direction and, and, and aggregate that, that skill set so that I know that I'm getting the right people and that I can, that I can leverage that. So I think we've covered all the big stuff that I wanted to cover. Yeah. Uh, if, if you want to check us out on Patreon, it's patreon.com slash exit underscore org exit org. We, we, we recently had our first group call and yeah, I'm going to go into this because this was, this is, yes, you need, you need um, to, because it, it's a, it's a perfect illustration of what exits about. So it's, yeah. it, it was a phenomenal experience as a participant. And I'm sure as the organizer, it was even better. Oh, I mean, it couldn't have been more rewarding. I mean, so, so we, yeah. we originally, it was supposed to be kind of an admin call, like, Hey, what do you guys want from this? Here's what I've got planned. Here's the schedule the agenda, et cetera. But that same day, a friend of ours got wind that they might be in trouble, that they might be doxxed. And someone was sort of gathering intelligence on them. And this was a guy, very decent guy, had never said anything really even that problematic, but no, just sort of absolute, absolute gentleman. Yeah. But we all know that doesn't matter. <laughs> no, it, it does was, not, unfortunately. Yeah. It, it, it was enough for him to be afraid. And we got him in the room. We said, you know, this is kind of an emergency hot seat. We're all going to address this guy's challenge and see what we can do for him. So he told us a little bit about his industry, his location, what he was up against, and the quality of insight that came from that group. I was just blown away. I mean, it was, there was a lot of things that would not have occurred to me, even things that like initially I'd told him the other thing I'd, I'd sent him in a different direction. And they were like, no, 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 that's not right. Here's, here's what it is. And here's why. And I don't want to get into too many details, but like, I, I, I was just so impressed with their, with their level of insight and their level of compassion. And he, ca- and he told me just up and down for the next couple of days, like, you have no idea how much that just punctured and deflated the panic. And I, I knew that I had support. We found that guy three direct referral situations where like we knew that down one of those roads was a job for him. And uh, I don't know if he'll take one of those. They were, they were all good. They were in his lane. They were in his salary range, in his level of sort of uh, seniority and experience. And it's up to him what he chooses to do. But, but, but what we gave him was your income's not going to be interrupt, interrupted. Your family's not going to be disrupted. You're not going to have to move. Every one of these opportunities was either remote or local to him. So it didn't tell him what he had to do, but it, but it raised the floor for him. It raised his worst case scenario to like, you know, any one of these possibilities would be fine and I would be fine. And so now he's in a situation where if he wants to, he can talk to his boss and he can say, look, these are the things that I've said. And I, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm not going to recant any of it. And I'm not going to stop talking. And if you want, and, and they love him, he's a wonderful worker. He's course, smart, yeah. very capable guy. 
and, and, and they, and they don't want to lose it. So he's going to have this conversation and he's going to say like, look, this is me. If you're not okay with that, I'm moving on like yesterday. And, and now the ball is in his court. 100%. He is proactive. He's taken steps forward. He doesn't have to worry about being reactionary, trying yeah. to fight back. He can be, he can go on the offensive and that's what it's all about. Just unbelievable power. Unbelievable power. Like I, I, I wish so much, you know, not because I, not because I wanted to stay in that job because I didn't, but to have the power that he's going to have to just say like, I, I had, I, I had the sort of nothing to lose power. I, I had the power where I, cause I didn't, I didn't apologize for anything. I didn't recant anything. No, I, I no said, need. No I need. said, you know, this is, yeah, yeah. I, I wrote those things. Um, that's me. It is what it is. You want, you want to have a debate about it? You'll lose. <laughs> <laughs> they did not want to have a debate about it. Unfortunately, it would have been epic. Yeah. But, but to be able to tell them like, you know, I, I have this value and you know, I have the value and whatever you want, however you want to play it is fine with me. Like that is just, just such a, such an enviable position to be in. So, and that's what I'm all about. That's what I want for, for everybody in the tent and for everybody out of the tent. My goal is, is to have this be a brotherhood where we, where we take care of our own. And we also, you know, once our guys are, are, are set, we go kind of, we go kind of range out. We look for other people that we can help. And right now I'm trying to build it into something that can sustain my family so that I can do it full time. But I, from what I'm seeing, it it's rapidly coming to a point where it's not going to be about the money, you know, and, and, uh, and it's just going to be about, this is what I love and my basic needs are met. So I don't have to do anything else. I can just do this. Yeah. Um, and the, the little bit I've been able to work with you on, on this upcoming training for kind of starting your own landscaping company, you, you've got the passion, you've got the fire. So you get excited over these. Like I mentioned something in passing and you get so excited about it. And you're like, no, 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 go back to that. Let's talk about that for five more minutes. <laughs> There's, you've got the passion, you've got the drive, you've got the mission. And that's, that's one reason why going all the way back to the beginning, this exits going places because Bennett's Bennett's at the wheel and he's excited about it. And that's what I'm just, I'm looking forward to seeing where this is going to be two, three months from now, six months from now, a year from now, seeing all these guys that have joined up, seeing how they can change and transform their lives where they can be more independent, where they can be in places where they want to be instead of being dictated to, they're no longer the serfs, but they're, they're free men that can, enjoy all that god wants to to bless them with amen brother all right that is a wrap for us thanks so much chase for being with us and thanks for having me and and thanks so much to to everybody listening and especially to our members who who are going to get this today it it is so humbling to me that you guys have chosen to be part of this and and uh uh just uh couldn't be more pleased to have you around and and to everyone else, thanks for listening. Please, please look into what we're doing. And, and because I think it's for a lot of you, it's it's something that could that could change your life. I, I, I really believe that. So that's the exit podcast. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.